All right, you can flip over one sec- one page. We'll move into our teaching time. I regret now that we're live that I can't disappear and reappear back in front of you like I used to do. Um, I think you would be rather unimpressed if you heard all of the ideas we had to mess with you during the time when we were only on video, and mercifully, we, we did not do. Um, but we're going to transition right over into, into um, our sermon, our passage this morning. Uh, we've been in this series over the summer because of the days we're in, Psalms for Days of Trouble, and we've had several, uh, say I said last week, rather juicy topics. We looked at the trouble of evil people last week, um, and we perhaps get something even more juicy this week. We're looking at the trouble of wealth inequality. And I can hardly think of a subject that is more taboo to talk about in a community that wants to remain at peace with each other than how income and wealth is distributed in a society. Um, That is a, we know as soon as we talk about this, um, uh, economic strategies or whatever, then there will be disagreement right around the corner. And I wish I could give a silver bullet that this is exactly what we should all do. This is exactly what policy should be in place. We should vote for those kinds of things. And that would be really nice. And that's not what we're going to talk about this morning because uh, I don't have um, a, that kind of silver bullet answer. Uh, but we are going to use this psalm which talks about this uh, phenomenon of the struggles between uh, those with wealth and those without and the problems that that causes among human beings. And we are going to look at this, um, I, what, what this is leading us to look at is something that is much deeper than just policy. It is attitudes of our hearts, um, and it is about a fundamental way we view wealth and put our trust in it. So that's where we're going this morning. Um, I'm going to read it for us, and then we will uh, jump right in. This is Psalm number 49. This is God's Word. Hear this, all peoples. Give ear, all inhabitants of the world, both low and high, rich and poor, together. My mouth shall speak wisdom, the meditation of my heart shall be understanding. I will incline my ear to a proverb. I will solve my riddle to the music of the lyre. Why should I fear in times of trouble, when the iniquity of those who cheat me surrounds me, those who trust in their wealth and boast of the abundance of their riches? Truly no man can ransom another or give to God the price of his life, for the ransom of their life is costly and can never suffice, that he should live on forever and never see the pit. For he sees that even the wise die, the fool and the stupid alike must perish and leave their wealth to others, their graves are their homes forever, their dwelling places to all generations, though they called lands by their own names. Man in his pomp will not remain, he is like the beasts that perish. This is the path of those who have foolish confidence. Yet after them, people approve of their boasts. Like sheep, they are appointed for Sheol. Death shall be their shepherd, and the upright shall rule over them in the morning. Their form shall be consumed in Sheol with no place to dwell. But God will ransom my soul from the power of Sheol. He will receive me. Be not afraid when a man becomes rich, when the glory of his house increases. For when he dies, he will carry nothing away. His glory will not go down after him. For though while he lives, he counts himself blessed, and though you get praise when you do well for yourself, his soul will go to the generation of his fathers, who will never again see light. Man in his pomp, yet without understanding, 
is like the beasts that perish. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let me pray for us. Father, we, uh, as we do every week, we ask that you would come and that you would minister to us through your word, that the word that is preached would be true and it would be faithful to you, but that you would do what only you can do in your spirit, that you would penetrate our hearts and that you would give us life in places where we might not know uh, that life can be found. Uh, You are faithful to your people and we trust that you will do this in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, there's, when we look at this, there's a fundamental part of life. Is, you know, we read through this psalm that um, the future is an uncertain thing. If you notice when I read through all of these, that there's a view to the future, um, that what's going to happen in the future and how do we get security in the future um, to feel confident um, that what is going to come is going to be good. And I think our desire as human beings for uh, future security particularly knowing how finite we are, is one of those desires in our hearts that um, perhaps reigns most supreme and is most near and dear to us. Uh, We're struggling through these things as a people right now. Uh, There are all kinds of things um, uh, we're we're trying to sort out in regard to the future uh, with the virus, uh, what's going to be the future of our communities, what's going to be the future of small businesses, what's going to be the future of the poor, what's going to be the future of life as we know it, those kinds of things. And we're struggling for answers uh, to find security in. Um, And even the conversations we've had recently, particularly about race and also gender and other things, um, they, they center around the idea of power and how power can give certainty, a sense of certainty to some people over others, uh, that life will be good, that the future is secure, um, and that it is certain. So this is a very relevant thing um, in our society to talk about, and it is also a relevant thing um, deep in our own hearts. Um, but there is an issue here that I, want, that I think this psalm brings up uh, that is uh, particular, and that is it's not just about what is trustworthy uh, to give us a secure future, But we have a phenomenon here where there is a whole group of people who has landed on something in particular, namely wealth, uh, that we all agree is trustworthy. And in this community agreeing that this is the thing that is most trustworthy, uh, that we create this situation where of scarcity, where there are haves and there are have-nots, and there is frustration and there is despair from those that don't have, and there is a pride and a false sense of security in those Um, that do have. And the question is, how do we endure in this kind of situation uh, where there is a pressure uh, to depend on one thing um, for means of security? Uh, And I'll give an illustration of this. Um, I was reminded of this. I was hanging out at Miles and Marsha Gresham's house the other day, and I'm not going to embarrass them any further than naming that. But it reminded me of the phenomena of the beach toy Um, and how scarcity um, and toys with kids on the beach create a real problem. And it can even start in the car on the way to the beach. You're going to take a family vacation to the beach, and it's going to be wonderful. Uh, There are so many things to look forward to. Uh, There are lists of what is going to be fun uh, that the kids are looking forward to doing. And all of a sudden, there is one toy that everyone wants, and everyone agrees that this toy is the only way that they are going to have any fun at the beach. 
despite what other things are on offer at the beach, this is the only way. And it becomes this group consensus. And sometimes on the car on the way down, you already start to argue about who is going to get the first turn, who is going to get uh, the most turns with this particular toy. Because that is the only way you can depend that this trip is going to be fun. And the result of that, through all of the arguing, is that you have a beautiful beach. You have a week away. You have a unique time uh, that is outside of the normal that is completely wasted because focus was put on this one thing, that this is the thing that is going to provide satisfaction um, here on the beach. And, you know, this is particularly relevant here when we're talking about future certainty and wealth and that um, this is the common, this is the air that we live in. Um, This is what is very natural for us as humans, partially because wealth is really useful. Like we need wealth to live. Uh, We need to have uh, um, the basic necessities of life and those kinds of things. And yet we have to notice here that we are also living in a community with the pressure that this is the thing we have to have in order to feel secure, that our future is going to be secure. And what that leaves us in is this situation of despair or pride rather than a true sense of security. And this is where, where this psalm is going to come in and what is particularly going to address. And it is going to lead us particularly as is addressed to God's people, uh, to Christians, um, how to persevere in what is truly certain and what God has called us when we are living in the middle of this group pressure uh, to depend upon wealth. Um, We're going to look at this in a couple ways. Let me make a couple other introductory comments um, about wealth before, before we move in. Uh, This psalm is addressed to the wealthy and the unwealthy. This is for all of us together. You see at the beginning it's saying, here, all peoples, rich and poor, together. Um, And there are different applications we're going to see for both. But this is for all of us together. Uh, Wealth is we immediately think of money, which is a kind of wealth. Wealth can be anything, though. Anything that we have is a resource to make our own way in life. It could be money. It could be education. It could be relationships. Um, it could be a social standing. Um, anything like this um, that we would, we would be able to leverage to get our way in life. Um, and I also want to make sure and say and make clear that the issue at stake here is not having wealth. The issue is fundamentally about trust. It is about trust and where true security comes from. Um, and that is the core issue uh, that is going to animate uh, this, whole, this whole thing. So I'm going to look at this. We're going to look at what is certain. That's where the psalm is going to lead us to look at. And then we're going to end by just a few uh, pointers of how then should we live in light of this certainty. So in this air of wealth being the mutually agreed upon thing that gives us certainty, what is actually certain and there are, there are two kinds of certainty that it says here. Uh, if we'll follow here, um, if you'll pick up in verse 7. Oh, well, first, let me say that the, the, the point is in verse 10. Skip down here to verse 10. Um, and it says, uh, the psalmist is saying that for um, he sees that even the wise die, and the fool and the stupid alike must perish and leave their wealth to others. 
And what's that saying is the, the common denominator, that one thing that is absolutely certain for each one of us that we can depend on, and that is death. Death is the first certainty um, um, about life and what it means to be human, whether we are rich or poor, um, that we are all looking at. Um, and that's where if you back up and look at it in verse 7, he's saying this is because truly no man can ransom another or give to God the price of his life. That there is no amount of wealth that can get us out of that reality. There is nothing that can be owned, um, humanly speaking, that is precious enough to buy us out of the reality of death. Uh, death is the great leveling um, aspect about life. And I want to use an illustration to, and I've used this before a, a few weeks ago, but back when we were on video, but I think it really gets at this. Um, Lauren and I w- went to a museum on the Titanic one time. Um, to, to, it was a traveling exhibit of actual things that were on the Titanic. Um, and you get to the end of it, and you see they have these plaques for explanation of what happened. And one of them was that as the Titanic was going down, the way that um, they, because there were a few lifeboats, the system in place was that they were going to do women and children first and get them on the boat, and then anything left over uh, will be for the men. And many abided by this, and many were very brave, and there were also many, many men who dressed up as women so that they could get on the boat and they could get away to safety. And this worked in many cases, as unjust um, and as deceitful as that is. But when you get to the end of the exhibit, they have a list of everybody that was on the Titanic. And you notice that to this day, there is not one person who was on the Titanic that is not, that is um, currently living today. Uh, They have all passed away at this point. And so there were some that went down, their days were shorter, and there were some that prolonged their days um, because of their deceitfulness and their own wickedness and their both their use of their means to do that. And at the end, all it did was buy a few days. That death came to both. Death came to the righteous and the unrighteous at the same time. And that is a certain common end um, that we all have looking at. And what does that mean for us practically? I think for those of us who have wealth of any kind, that there's a warning here. And there's the warning that uh, there is an end that's coming. And that the wealth that we have that we can accumulate will not go past a certain point. It can't buy away death. We will have to face it one way or another. And that impacts how we view our life now. But it also has an application to the poor, to those who are frustrated, who feel cheated um, um, of their lot in life because of the often unjust uh, means of the wealthy. And that is that there are always limits on injustice. That death actually provides a natural limit to how much injustice any person can perpetuate. And that death is not a good thing. Nobody in here would say that. But yet there's also a mercy in this from God. That injustice can only go so far. It always has an end in death. We see this in with Adam and Eve that after they first fell into sin, that God removed them from the garden and he put angels in front of um, the Garden of Eden so to ensure that they would not eat of the tree of life and live forever in their wickedness. But yet as a mercy to humanity and the planet, that there would be an end. There would eventually be an end 
to all forms of injustice through death. And so this is the one certainty we all have to grapple with. Um, And this causes a little bit of doubt into our dependence upon wealth to be the main thing that we all depend on uh, for security in life. Uh, Because it doesn't solve this problem of death, this ultimate end. And this is partial good news in a way. Uh, But I think if we really think about that, doesn't that just make us a little bit more frantic though? Like, might we become even more anxious of that reality and try to spend up and get whatever wealth we can in the time we have knowing that it's limited? Um, And that might be the case. That might be a good conclusion if that was the end. But that is not the only certainty that we have here in this psalm. Um, There is also another certainty that is about after death. And that death is not actually the final end. Uh, There is something else after that. If you look at where this, you know, where the psalm goes, he talks about this, um, that um, everybody dies, the rich and poor alike, nobody can ransom um, their own life. Um, They all have to descend into the grave. Uh, which, just as a, a side point, I think this is rather humorous. You get what the psalmist is saying here, uh, that they're, these people who were wealthy were boasting because they had whole lands named after them. And yet at the end, there is only one piece of property that you will carry forever and that you can actually depend on. And it is six feet deep and six feet long. That your grave is the only worthwhile investment that you can have and depend on uh, forever. Uh, side point over, but he gets on here, and we're starting here in verse 13, um, that after perishing, uh, this, is the, the path, uh, this is the path of those who have foolish confidence, yet after them people approve of their boasts, and like sheep they are appointed for Sheol, and death shall be their shepherd, and the upright shall rule over them in the morning, for, uh, and their form shall be consumed in Sheol with no place to dwell, but God will ransom my soul." from the power of Sheol, for he will receive me. And that is we have two contrasting destinations even after death. Uh, One appointed to Sheol, which is this, um, it's a little bit vague in the Old Testament, but it can be death, uh, the the reign of death. It could be um, uh, eternal judgment. And depending on context, uh, we have to decide what that means. But he is describing that even after death comes, that there is this something after. And for those who depended upon their wealth alone as where their lot were fallen into, that it's, they, they have this, like death is going to be their shepherd. Like, it's not like, you know, you're at grave and you're done, but there's this sense in which where death is most comfortable and where death says that life flourishes the best for me on my terms, the deathly terms, that that's what this is going to be like. Um, that, that death is, um, it, it receives um, people like a shepherd. But what's the opposite? But God will ransom my soul from Sheol and will receive me. And there is another option to that. And that is not through what somebody can accumulate for themselves, but is entirely what somebody can do uh, for us. And that is God himself. If you saw earlier, the psalmist takes pains to say that nobody can ransom the life of another or to give God the price of somebody's life. But what God can do and what he did do is to ransom the lives of us with the only thing that is valuable enough in order to pay somebody's way. And that is with his own blood. 
and that nothing on our own, but only something that comes from God, that there is a promise that after all riches are gone, after all life is spent, after everything that we have put our trust in is gone, that there still remains something else, this ransoming of God, the gift, the precious value of what he spent for not even the righteous, but of sinners. And from that point on, that this is the thing that defines the life of those that have depended on, depended in him, his own ransom and his own price that he paid. And this goes on for all eternity. And what does this mean for us? As we are looking at these two options, these two outcomes, is that if we belong to Christ, then your life has been ransomed by him. This means that he, your life has been ransomed from injustice, that injustice doesn't get the final say, that your life has been ransomed from poverty, any bad thing that can happen. Your life has been ransomed from your own bad choices, even where you have mismanaged money and have the consequences for it. Your life has been ransomed from that and belongs to God. Your life has been ransomed from the own desires of your heart, the fear that feels like we cannot depend on anything other than wealth and we're so anxious. Your life has been ransomed from God and it is wrapped up in Him in the end. This is the thing that defines your life for all eternity, both in the present and in the future. What does this mean for us? Now I'll go through this um, uh, very quickly here. And this is great, but how does this orient us to where we live? We could take this in two ways. You know, the first way would be to say that we're only going to focus in life, and the psalm is unpacted why this is short-sighted and doesn't work out. We could also say we're going to skip over real life and issues of justice and those kinds of things, and we're just going to dump it all into the afterlife. Whatever happens now doesn't matter as long as you're saved and you go to heaven at the end. I think what this is doing is trying to expand our view to include the today and the tomorrow together. Because these realities don't start at the afterlife, they start now. And that what you have been given in Christ's ransoming of your own life is a something dependable to be certain on for forever, but also access to enjoy that even now. As he has revealed his son to us, as he has revealed this ransom in Jesus, then you are able even now to enjoy the fruits of this in faith in him. Uh, that whatever comes into your life and how he directs it is always and it must be geared to your salvation and not for your destruction. So what does this mean? Just a few things. There's bad news that injustice of wealth, um, this is an old thing. This was a thing back then. It's a thing now. This very likely will be a reality of life for all of us um, until, um, until Jesus comes back. But the big point here is that God has made a promise to you in spite of those that is more dependable and that is sealed in his own blood. And therefore, how to live out of this is defined mostly by our relationship with Jesus, his faithfulness to his covenant, the way that he has established this relationship to us. And this is the case with all of these psalms, that this life of the covenant that he has given us um, in his law, in worship, in our community life together, even when they seem mundane, that these are the things that God has called us to. And these are the things that he has put his blessing on, um, that they are eternal and they will matter and they will last. And we are free to persevere in these things whenever this threat 
of wealth or in wealth is taken off and the sting is taken out just a little bit. This means if we're wealthy, um, then we could come to the conclusion that to have wealth is not good, and I think that would be wrong, that we should feel guilty about that. But the issue is how has God ransomed us and how has he defined our life? That what is our life for? What is our wealth for? Is it for us and our security or is it for God's ultimate purposes he is working out in the world? And I think a good diagnostic question I like to ask myself and we can all ask ourselves with all aspects of wealth that we have been given. Are the people of God and is the kingdom of God glad that the Lord has given this to me um, to steward? Is this a good thing or is this hurtful to the people that this is with me and it stays just wrapped up with me and my own benefit? If we're poor, there is an equal obsession with wealth that we might have, but on the other end, that we might be moved to despair. And these are words full of hope, even in the face of injustice, that everything that comes into our life Everything that we experience, we now get to define according to our relationship with Jesus, who suffered and who rose again and who rose to new life after that. For a social justice warrior, movements come and go. The movements that we see today, um, they will rise and they will fall. But if we are freed up from this sting of wealth and inequality and death, then we are able to continue to persevere in the justice and the vision for life that God has given us, even when there is no movement, even when that comes and when that that goes. This is an ongoing thing that is filled with hope. And the last thing I wanted to say for those of us who are deeply anxious and who are deeply fearful, um, because of the resources we have and we don't see that there is any hope for that to change. Uh, Do you see this line in verse 14? Um, The sheep, they're appointed for Sheol. Death shall be their shepherd, and the upright shall rule over them in the morning. That there is a morning that is coming. Not an M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G, but an M-O-R-N-I-N-G. The sun will rise again into a new life. And there will be a morning to even your fear and even your anxiety. That that will happen. It will not endure. It will not define your life for forever. And again, because of the gospel, we have reason to to tap into that now and to enjoy that, to orient our life by that and experience through the Spirit the kind of freedom uh, that He gives for us. Here's several things that we can take away uh, with us. But what I want to say is that, friends, Christ has ransomed your life. That your security doesn't lie in anything with you, but it lies with Him that he has a hold on you in every situation, that he has given his life for you, his own precious blood. And because of that, we have reason to hope. We have reason to rejoice, and we have reason to seek him and what he has given us um, and the way that he has asked us to live and to do that with hope and total freedom. So I'm going to pray right now um, that he would continue to apply this to all of our lives. And we're going to get ready to come and celebrate this joy when we come to the table where we get to taste and see this ransom that he has given to us. So uh, let me stop there and we'll pray. Father, thank you indeed for Christ. Thank you for your mercy on us and our anxiety and in the waywardness of our hearts. Would you continue to hold on to us? Be our balm of comfort 
and be our guide, that we would follow you in your way, and that we would be able to persevere even when um, things seem the darkest. Uh, We know that you will. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.